Wow, that was good. I'll tell you, I hope that is true. I, I hope that we will let it be, you know, Jesus, and that's what we're all about. Hey, um, last week we talked about really our mission as a church, that we're about people investing in people for eternity. And um, to do that, we looked at a couple snapshots from Jesus' life to see how he invested in people. And then we uh, heard from Steve Forbes, and he shared some of the ways that he's been investing in people for the sake of eternity over the years. Um, one of the key components there, and this is the, the thing that I don't want us to miss, is the, the piece about an eternity. Because we can do lots of good things, can't we? We can help people, but all those good things that we do will eventually pass away. The only thing that we have to offer somebody that is going to last for eternity is faith in Jesus Christ. And so if the good things we do aren't tied somehow to Jesus, if they don't somehow point to Jesus then it's only temporary, and, and we want to be about what is eternal. So um, we're about people investing in people for eternity. That's our mission, and, and really our method for accomplishing that mission is called Come, Grow, Go. Come, Grow, Go. And this morning, what we want to do is focus on that first piece. It's the come aspect of it. If you think about Jesus, he didn't have to come to earth, did he? He could have stayed in heaven, this place of paradise and perfection, which is where I would have stayed you know, if I were him, but no, instead he chose to come to earth so that we might be able to come to him. He, he chose to step down out of perfection and paradise into the messiness that we had created because of our rebelliousness, because of our self-centeredness. He came so that we might be able to come to him, to come and to see him. So um, we're going to take a look at that this morning. Jesus is all about relationships, and that's what we're about here as well. To do that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at a, a section of, of John. So the Gospel of John, this is John's telling of the story of Jesus' life. We're going to be in chapter 1. It's page 1050 if you have a church Bible. And I'm going to encourage you to get those out because I'm not going to put it on the screen just like I didn't do last week, because I think it'll be helpful if you just follow along with me. So follow through the Bible. So it's page 1050 um, if you want to join me there. Now, I want to set it up. I want to give you the context. Jesus is 30 years old at this point. He's 30 years old, and he's now entering into his public phase of ministry. And he's starting to gather his team. It's kind of like the NFL draft at this point, right? And so he's drafting his team, although the guys don't know that they're even in the draft, right? And then they get drafted on the team. They don't even know this Jesus who drafted them, right? And so that's sort of the context um, that we find ourselves in. So we're in John chapter 1. We're going to begin with verse 35. It says, the next day, John, so let me just be clear. This is not John who is writing this book. This is John. He was the brother of James. Um, I mean, this is John the Baptist, not John the brother of James who's writing this book. So the next day, John the Baptist, if that will help, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed him. Now, we're going to discover in just a minute, that one of those two disciples, that was first a disciple of John the Baptist, and the first guy to follow Jesus was a guy by the name of Andrew. Andrew. And then we're not told who the second guy is, but it's widely believed that the second guy is actually John, the one writing this 
down. So those are the two guys we believe. Now, um, here's what I want you to see happening next. Look at, at verse 38 with me. It says, turning around, so, so Jesus turns around, he sees these guys follow him, and, and Jesus said to them, what do you want? What do you want? And I think that's an important question for each of us to consider. What do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? What do you want? Do you want to know him? Do you want to have a relationship with him? Or, or maybe, do you want something you think he can give you? Like maybe, maybe you want him to give you physical health or, or health for a loved one or a good friend. Um, maybe you want him to give you wealth and prosperity, some success, you know, victory over your opponent. You know, what, what do you want from Jesus? Maybe you want him to, to give you a significant other. Or, or perhaps you want him to give you a child. Or perhaps you want him to take your child and get him out of the house. You, you know, what do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? And so that was the question that he was asking these two guys that were following him. So look at the response. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Now, what's going on here is more than an exchange of information. It is actually an invitation to a relationship. It, it's more than an invitation. It's more than instruction. It's more than information. It's an invitation to a relationship. He says, come, come and see. Now, what, what he was doing here is, is um, you know, not just answering their question, because if, if he just wanted to answer the question they were saying, where are you staying? He could have just said, you know, I'm staying at, at that little bungalow you know, along the shore there on Lakeshore Drive, that's where I'm staying. But no, he, he answered the question beneath the question. The question beneath the question. See, he knew what they were really asking. They, they weren't so concerned. So what's the address of where you're staying? No, what they wanted to know is, who are you? Who are you? They wanted to get to know him. And so look at the response. Look at what happens next. It says, so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So they were curious, where are you staying? And he's like, come and see. And they ended up spending the whole day with him until four o'clock in the afternoon. I wonder what they talked about. I wonder what they did for all those hours. Whatever it was, it was incredibly impactful because notice what happens next. Andrew, so now we know it's Andrew, he's one of the two. Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So notice, Andrew spends the day with Jesus. And what's the first thing he does? He goes and he finds his brother. And he is so excited. He's like, Simon, I, I got to tell you, we found him. You, you know, the one that all the prophecies have been pointing to? You, you know, the one that Moses talked about? You, the, the one that we Jews have been longing for? We, we found him. The Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer, of the world. We found him. Come and see. Come and see. 
So, um, can any of you guys relate to Andrew in that moment? Like, have you had one of those encounters where you came and, and you saw for yourself that Jesus is, in fact, your Messiah, your Savior, your Christ, your Redeemer? Have you had an experience like that? If you have, what did you do next? What was the first thing you did? Did you run and, and tell somebody else that was close to you? Were you so excited you just want to share this good news? That's what Andrew did. He found his brother, Simon. And look what he did. He brought him to Jesus. It says, Jesus looked at him. So Jesus looked at Simon. And he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, is Peter. So imagine that you're Peter now for a moment. And you've come to Jesus, the one that everybody has been longing for. And you're standing before him and he looks at you. Only he doesn't just look at your outer appearance. He looks deep within your soul. Have you ever experienced something like that? Like when you feel like somebody's looking deep within you and Jesus looks at him. And he says, you're Simon, right? Now, let me reveal to you your true identity. As, as I look deep within your soul, you're, you're not Simon. You're not just Simon, the son of John. You know who you are? You're Peter. You're the rock. You're the rock. And later on, we're going to discover that, that Jesus says, Peter, you're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. He looks deep within Peter, and he calls out his true God-given identity. Imagine that, that God does that for you. Well, I believe when we come to Jesus and, and we do discover, we have this encounter with him and we discover that he is our Messiah, he's our Christ, that he's our Savior, that he's our Redeemer, that we too discover our God-given identity. I, I believe when we truly come to him, we discover that, that we've been called, that we've been set apart, that we are now children of God that we are bridge builders, that we are peacemakers. And the more we spend time with him, the longer we walk with him and we come and spend time with him, the more we begin to discover these special gifts and talents and callings that he has for us and only for us to fulfill. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to reveal our true identity, not what the world has called us, not an identity that the world has put on us or our parents have put on us, but the true identity that God has given us. And he wants to call that out in each and every one of us. That's what he did for Peter. I believe that's what he wants to do for us. But we've got to come and see. We first have to come and see. So um, that's the first encounter that we look at here in, in John chapter 1. The next one is, is an encounter that Jesus has with two guys. One guy's name is Philip, and the other guy's name is Nathaniel. This is verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, I want you to notice that Philip um, is similar to Andrew. He, he has come and seen Jesus. He has had this encounter with Jesus. And what does he first do? He runs and finds somebody else to tell them and to invite them to come and see. 
he goes and he finds his buddy, buddy Nathaniel, and he says, come and see this Jesus. He's the one we've been looking for. But, but notice, notice Nathaniel's response. He doesn't have the same eagerness as Peter had. He, he's not as receptive to the invitation as Peter was. This is what he says, verse 46. Nazareth? I mean, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's his response. What do you mean? This guy's from Nazareth? How can anything good come from there? Now, that's probably like a lot of us. I think a lot of us could probably relate to Nathaniel. Um, I think a lot of us tend to be skeptical. You, you know, when somebody says, hey, come and see this Jesus, you may be like, hmm, I don't know about that. Like, really? And, and I remember how, how that was for me. When Carolyn and I were in college, um, one summer, she went and, and she had this encounter with Jesus. And I remember her coming back from this weekend, and, and she was a changed person. She was so excited, and, and she wanted to share that with me. And she's like, Scott, you've got to come and see. I want you to experience what I just experienced. Like, it's incredible, this Jesus. You need to come and see. And I was like, sure, that's good for you. <laughs> Not really for me. And so um, I didn't rush to see Jesus. Even though she was so excited, she's like, come and see. I was like, okay, I'll come. Well, it took three years before I bothered to come and to see, and, and some weird circumstances, if you will. But finally, I came, and, and then I saw Jesus personally, and, and I saw he is my Messiah. He is my Christ. He is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. And in that moment... I began to discover my true identity, not, not the identity that the world had put on me or that I had tried to put upon myself, but I began to see myself as God saw me. And, and over time, I began to live into that more and more and discover some of the unique callings and gifts and talents that God had just for me. But I had to come and see. And, and I think it's important that we realize um, that like we may be super excited, like we may have had this encounter with Jesus and we can't wait for those that we love and care about the most to come and see and, and we go to them and they're like, oh, that's good for you. Good for you. Yeah, I'll be there. Just wait. Like, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. We've got to persevere. Look at what Philip did. He just said to Nathaniel, he's like, come and see. Nathaniel, just come and see for yourself. He didn't get into a big argument with him, which I typically would. You know, he, he didn't try to argue him theologically, like, let me tell you why he's the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the one that fulfilled all these prophecies. He didn't get in all that. You know, most people aren't one to Jesus because we beat them in an argument, right? How many times, like, when you lose an argument, feel like, oh, great, I'm going to follow them now? No, usually your pride wells up, Right? And so you don't try to argue somebody to Jesus. Just say, come and see. Just like Philip did. Come on, Nathaniel, just come and see. Jesus can handle it. See, sometimes I think we believe it's our job to make Jesus more attractive to other people. Right? Like somehow we need to Photoshop Jesus so that he'll be more attractive to the world around us. Or, or somehow we need to give him a good Yelp review. You know, then maybe other people will come and check out this Jesus. Or, 
or, you know, we need to give him a good Facebook like, or we need to retweet something that he said. And just then, maybe somebody will think, oh, this Jesus is worth coming and seeing. No, we, we're just responsible for saying, come and see. Come and see Jesus. And it's on them to accept or reject the invitation. And ultimately, it's on them to accept or reject Jesus. That's not on us. But we are responsible to invite them. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and see what I have discovered that I am so excited about. Now, um, I, I believe we have a responsibility to invite people to come. I, I believe we have a responsibility to invite people to come to church. All right? So um, I, I don't think it's because we have this amazing music or because we have this incredibly witty pastor um, which, of course, both are true. But I don't think that's why we're saying come to church. The reason we're inviting people to come in church is because we hope that they would come and see Jesus in the music, that they would come and see Jesus in the message, that they would come and see Jesus in communion, that they would come and see Jesus in us, the people. That's why we are to invite people to come to church because we want them to come and see Jesus. Same thing with life groups. We want to invite people to come to a life group so that they can come and see Jesus, so that we can go deeper into Jesus' word, his story, his truth together. We want them to come and see Jesus. That's why we invite um, youth to come to, to youth group or, or kids to vacation Bible study or Bible school or to to children's Sunday school, or whatever event we have going on. We want to invite people to come because we want them to see Jesus. That's our motivation. You see, and when we invite people to come, a lot of times they think they're being invited to an event. But what really is happening, we're inviting them to an encounter. We're not really inviting them to an event, although that's what it appears like. We're inviting them to an encounter with Jesus. We just want them to come and see, to experience Jesus. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're called to invite them to come. Now, I want to invite Paul and Missy to come up. And uh, as they're coming, I'm going to get them some stools here, bent. I don't even know what you call these things, but anyhow. And uh, I want them to share just with you all. sort of their experiences with this, how um, initially how they came. You good? Get a boost? The, uh, it's a little high. Sorry, I didn't think about that. Maybe begin and just share with, with the congregation, how, how was it that you guys first came to Orchard Hills? How, how did you come and see? Well, actually, it was um, an invitation from our daughter, Tori, she had been invited to um, Young Life Club from a friend, and then a leader, a Young Life leader, invited her to Young Life Camp to hang out with her friends for a week. So um, she went, and as Young Life promised, she had the best week of her life ever, awesome. and she accepted Jesus there. So when she got home, she started telling us about camp and the people she had met, and she told us that a lot of them attended Orchard Hills Church. 
and asked us if we wanted to come and check it out. At that time, um, we weren't going to church, didn't think we needed a church. And so, unfortunately, we never came to Orchard Hills with Tori. The following year, Tori passed away in a car accident. And um, after she died, Paul and I were searching for answers, and we were looking for any type of connection to Tori. And that's when I remembered Orchard Hills. And so um, we came, and we stayed, and here we are 15 years later. Wow. Well, since you've come, maybe share some different ways that people have invited you to come and see Jesus through different forms, maybe different events. What, what's that been like? Um, well, one of the first invitations I received was to the women's retreat. And I had never heard about a women's retreat, didn't know what it was. After it was explained to me, um, I knew it was way out of my comfort zone. Wasn't really interested in it, but I went, and it was amazing. Had a great time, met a lot of really nice people. Um, I was invited to help out in Sunday school in the five-year-old classroom. Um, that's an invitation everyone should accept, because if you want to come and see Jesus and learn more about Jesus, that's the place to do it. I was invited to youth group, to help lead youth group, and from there went on my first missions trip, and I was invited to um, lead a small group of teenage girls, um, and I was invited here today to share with all of you, which I'm thrilled about. <laughs> <laughs> I no, just have that way with people. Yeah. Voluntold. Yeah, <laughs> but seriously, like... <laughs> It's uncomfortable, some of these invitations, and downright terrifying. But um, if you say yes, um, your faith will grow, your relationship with Jesus will grow, and you'll meet some incredible people along the way. Paul, you got anything to add to that? Yeah, I didn't want to be here. <laughs> now? Right now or then? Both. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we were just in a bad place, as Missy described, and so I was pretty angry. So I would sometimes stay in the parking lot, in the car, and sit as far back as I possibly could and pray that nobody would talk to me and just try and U-turn it out of here. And um, <clears throat> there's a lot to be said for just continuing to show up um, and incrementally just kind of I think we're in the second row now, so yeah, that is good. really progressed. Yeah, you back, you back. <laughs> Sorry, people, you'll make your way yeah. up here eventually. <laughs> Jeremy, come on. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy's been here forever. He's still in the back. He took my spot. Um, but you know, an invitation I received was from uh, Scott Feltz, and I, you know, we didn't. I didn't know anybody here, and um, I think folks knew what we were going through, and and he invited me out to his property, and out in the country. And um, just riding four-wheelers and things like that, which, you know, probably didn't seem like a big thing at the time to Scott, but it was a really big thing to me. And then started to build kind of community here, which was really, really important to us. And the church was great in surrounding our family. Um, kind of like Missy, other invitations, you know, men's golf trips are, are great. Um, 
we did some mission trips. We did <laughs> a couple that were pretty interesting. One uh, to Chile where we brought, uh, I think you brought MK and I brought Trey, which was really interesting, and then the VR and um, Catalyst conferences. Uh, we've had a small group of men uh, meeting every Thursday at um, 6.30 in the morning for 15 years now, I think, um, which is just really helps to kind of anchor my week and kind of keeps me, um, you know, have kind of an accountability system of, of close friends and we kind of work through scripture and, you know, we were in Genesis, you weren't there, but we were in Genesis and still wrestling things with like dinosaurs and evolution, you know, how's all that work? So. <laughs> That's good. Um, but just um, some are organized and structured events that I've been invited to and others are far less formal, uh, just a bunch of guys getting together for dinner uh, or, or families just going on little trips and things like that. And that, that relationship component uh, has been so precious to me and my family and, you know, I couldn't imagine like moving away and, and leaving what we have here um, because it's just so so life affirming and uh, helpful in my growth as a Christian, and it's been a huge blessing to my family. So, yeah, one of my favorite. I still have this <laughs> image. Like Paul came to our life group, and uh, Paul, could you just demonstrate asked, your posture? I asked him to share that story. Well, just just demonstrate what you looked like when you were sitting there, and <laughs> like that was it. Like, and you could tell he didn't want to speak. He didn't want to be there, but he showed up. Sort of. You know, like I uh, talked about Jason Berenger last week, he, he, he followed Missy, you know, to Life Group, and, yeah. and it was fun to watch this posture change. Hmm. And, then, and then start to lean forward, and then start to engage. You know, he, he was coming to the Life Group, you know, maybe you thought you were just coming to hang out with some people, but what he was really doing is he was coming to see Jesus, yeah. and, and he saw Jesus there, and it, it began to change you. And I love being a part of that. Tell me um, maybe just a couple examples of how then you guys have invited other people to come and see. Um, I can remember being at youth group one Sunday night several years ago and meeting a middle school student at the time, Brooke. And Brooke has been a part of Orchard Hills way longer than I have. Um, in fact, she was one of the five-year-olds that showed me Jesus several <laughs> years prior to that. Um, wow. But I just felt like I should invite her to join the small group I was leading. And she said yes and started coming along with the other girls. And that was over eight years ago. Um, we still get together every once in a while now. They're in college um, just to catch up with one another. And um, you know, I think that if you were to ask Brooke, um, she would tell you that she's seen Jesus many times through our talks and our dinners. and our Bible studies and our endless games of hide and seek when they were younger and everything in between. Um, we've invited people to church and they've come and they've actually stayed. Who knew? Some. <laughs> Some. <laughs> um, Some. But <laughs> they've invited um, their families and their friends and you know, then we watch them develop other relationships within the church, but it goes way beyond Sunday morning, like it's outside of this building and it's doing life with one another outside of just Sunday morning. Um, 
we've watched our grown children as adults and as children invite people to church and we've developed really close um, relationships through that and even gained a son-in-law through that wow bonus <laughs> <laughs> got some grandkids too as a yeah. result yeah yeah i think it's i would worry sometimes um inviting people here what is Scott preaching on? Is he in the Old Testament? You know, are we going to be throwing down Leviticus or something? And you know, what kind of gaff is he going to have that day? That <laughs> Can we move beyond this? Part? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, you know, will somebody raise their hands and you know freak someone out? And all these ridiculous thoughts would run through my mind. And it took me a while to accept that you know God's going to allow them to hear whatever it is he wants them to hear and it's you know he loves God but you know it's not up to him it's not up to me it's just about kind of putting folks in a position uh, that they can hear the word and let God work in their life um, for men um, you know invitations are you know women are a bit more social and men it's the invitations maybe don't flow as freely um, I, I remember you know, I was all focused on work, and my network of friends was very small. We were focused on the kids and things like that. So, you know, I have heard on several occasions from people um, how, how attractive kind of our friend network is at church and outside of church. Um, so I guess my my suggestion to the men would be, you know, be a little bit more bold in your invitations, both in church and just outside of church, and build those relationships, because it's been my experience that the men are kind of craving to have that same, you know, Christ-based kind of friend network. It's very, um, life's hard, and it's very, it's very positive, and uh, it's very attractive. So. That's awesome. Anything else? Not for me. All right. All right. Let's give it up for Paul Missy. I just leave him. You know, it's been one of my greatest joys to be able to come and see Jesus with Paul and Missy and to grow together with them over the years. And um, when you think about people investing in people for eternity, that's what it's all about. And just like Paul mentioned, like, I think we're all longing for those deeper relationships. Like we all have superficial relationships, right? But when you discover a relationship that goes deeper and that it is connected to God, all of a sudden, those are, those are priceless. And they're going to last forever. Like we're forever connected. You know, we will be forever. That's probably not good news to you, but we will be forever <laughs> together. And... Um, that's exciting to me. So I wonder, what, what's keeping you from inviting people to church? What, what's keeping you from inviting people to a life group or to a small group or, you know, maybe to a retreat or to a youth group or to uh, vacation Bible study? What's keeping you from inviting people to come and see? Could it, could it be the fear of rejection? Could it be a fear that, that people might mischaracterize you as a, as a Bible thumper or this right-wing conservative Christian? What is it 
that keeps you from inviting them to come and see. Uh, I've been engaged in some conversations, and I think sometimes it's our own selfishness, and it's our selfishness with regard to time. Maybe for you, the reason you don't invite people is you're like, wow, I know I should, I feel sort of compelled, but that's going to take a lot of time. Like, I'm going to have to meet them and sit with them, and, and we might have to go to brunch or lunch, you know, afterwards, you know, and what, yeah. Should I invite them into my house? Should I invite them into my life? And do I really want to spend time in their life? Like, do I really want to invest in people? Because it's messy. Like, I know how messy my life is. Do I really want to get involved in the messiness of their life? Maybe that's what it is. It's their own selfishness. We're selfish with our time. Or, or maybe it's this. Maybe you don't think it's your responsibility. You know, that's, that's for the people that are on staff or in some kind of leadership position. You know, that's their job to invite people, or just maybe it's this. Maybe you have come. Maybe you've been coming. Maybe you've come to some of these different events, and you haven't seen Jesus. You know, and if you haven't experienced Jesus yourself, then why would you invite somebody else to come and see if you haven't seen him yourself? And if that's where you are, I just want to encourage you. Before the music, just pray. Say, God, could you open up the eyes of my heart so that I could see you in the music, so that I could experience you through the music? Before the message, God, could you open up the eyes of my heart so I could see you through the message? God, as we participate in communion, could you open the eyes of my heart so that I could see you in the midst of communion? God, could you open the eyes of my heart so I could see you in the lives of those around me here? And, and I believe with all my heart, God will do it. God will do it. He said, if you'll just seek, you're going to find. If you ask, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for you. So as, as we look at this coming year, I think we've got to be more intentional because it doesn't just seem to happen. Last week we talked about, you know, making out a frank list and then to bless them uh, Frank stands for friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and coworkers. And just put down a name or two under each category of somebody that you are in contact with that you'd like to see come even closer to God. And then all you do is you, you bless them. You begin by praying for them. Then you listen to them. Ask them questions. Get to know them. Then you eat together. That's the way community and relationship is built. You serve them with love. And then you share your story and God's story when they ask. Maybe start there, but we've got to be more intentional. So this year, who are you going to invite to come with you, to come with you and experience Jesus, to come to Jesus? Whose life is God going to use you in for the sake of eternity? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this morning. It's been so exciting and fun from the music to hearing from Paul and Missy and now getting ready to enter into this time of communion where we can see you, we can come to you, we can experience you in supernatural, powerful, even personal ways. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you stepped down out of heaven so that you would come to earth as a means of inviting others, folks like us, to come to you, to come and see and experience what real life, true life, everlasting life is all about. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.